What a marvelous conclusion to the Lord's Prayer in this last petition. Continuing with our theme of on your marks, get set, and go, this concluding petition sends us off on a victorious way into the world. If we remain in Christ, firm in our confession, and on our marks, we remain delivered from the evil one. It's as easy as that. Or is it that easy? If we remain following him, we have nothing to fear. If we remain steadfast in his word, in our fellowship, we have nothing to be afraid of. And although we know that by faith 2,000 years ago, our Lord defeated Satan and sin and death on the cross of Calvary, we still remain in this world flesh and blood. And so we are still the target of that evil one. So the petition. We are tempted to leave our marks. We are tempted to wander from our Lord. But the evil one lurks, as Peter says, like a lion ready to devour us. And you know that imagery of the lion, when you think about it, is the first century church. When Christians were fed to the lions. So we have Peter's imagery and his sermon to be vigilant, to stay on course, to stay on your marks, to not avoid the fellowship or God's word or the celebration of his body and blood given for you because the lion, the evil one, is ready to devour. I mean, why pick the lion except for the fact that it was the face of Satan during the first century church? We cannot be ready to walk in this world without our confession of Christ, neither without these things that are given to us, forgiveness of sins, God's word, and his sacraments. We need to know that his Holy Spirit is with us. And you know John calls that the comforter. But it's a little bit more than a comforter. When as a kid I used to think, oh, the comforter, it makes me sleep well at night. You know, I pull it up on a cold or chilly evening, and it's a comforter that warms me up. I was raw. That's not the type of comforter that John is talking about. It's not a comforter that says, don't worry, everything is going to be okay. The Holy Spirit does do that through God's word. But the word in the Greek for this comforter is paraclete. And in the old King James, it used that paraclete. Parakletos. It's the one who stands beside you in battle. And that's the type of comfort that there is. To know that you are not walking in the world alone, but you have God's Holy Spirit who is with you every day. You have the power from the Holy One to defeat the evil one. We have him who does battle with Satan 
every day and he walks beside us. It sort of brings us around in this last petition to what we started our Lord's Prayer with. He's our Father. Our Father wants only what is good and holy for us. His name is holy, and so he will always be there with forgiveness, and he will always be there with love. Thy kingdom come. His kingdom comes to us through his word. His kingdom came to us in our baptisms, and his kingdom comes to us through his body and his blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But this whole idea of Satan, the evil one, is that really true? Does Satan really exist? I mean, we see the image of Satan and with pointy tail and horns on his head, and he's red, and he lives where there's fire. And we have this image that's given to us in, in paintings from the Renaissance and throughout history, this idea of Satan. John points out he is the father of all lies. He likes to confuse people as to what their worth is in the world and who they should really follow. But the greatest lie of the evil one today is that he doesn't exist. And he's gotten to that point where our society will say, there's no devil because in society there is no God. People will not readily talk about God with an evolutionary concept or gods because it's your choice who you want to follow. So where there is no God, there is no Satan. There is no evil one. When the truth and the measure of truth in our society is me and what I value, and you can't tell me I'm wrong, and you can't tell me about a true God, because everybody has the right to believe in a God of their own, you can't talk about evil. You can't talk about sin. But he's here. In our mythos in society, if you will, in our legends, people won't talk about him. Everyone who dies goes to heaven. There is no hell. But he exists. Last week we pointed out that the temptation and evil that is in this world is spiritual warfare in which we live. And it's not something that we readily see it's invisible. It's the greatest error that we make and it draws us off our marks if we do not see Satan or the evil one lurking like a roaring lion when we are out in the world. If we don't see how many traps are set to draw us away from him. To think that the evil one is not lurking seeking the moment to draw us away from Christ, to rely on ourselves. And it all started back in the Garden of Eden. It almost sounds too much like a fantasy to talk about the evil one 
Satan. Got a little musical background because I'd like to take a little bit of an extra short Bible study right now to go into Scripture and show some of the roots of this spiritual battle. It's usually what we think of when we think of spiritual battle. La, 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 la. In a galaxy far, far away. Little do we realize that it's right here up close. The reality of the evil one is couched in the Old Testament and New Testament in imagery and language that are kind of unknown to us, but which Jesus himself uses. It seems that they're kind of not reality, but indeed they were. These images and language our Lord uses, John uses in Revelation, Isaiah used in our passage for today, and Jesus himself uses, started about 5,000 years ago before the world was created. They were a part of an imagery of the Old Testament that was called Cana, and it was part of their mythology. Now, when I'm talking about something that actually happened or something that was pretend like a made-up story, that's not it. They used figures to talk about reality that was really there. In other words, evil. How did it come? How is there an evil one? How come there is this spiritual battle going on? And so some of the language from the Old Testament draws on this from the Canaanite people. In order to communicate with them, Isaiah the prophet uses it in the Old Testament today. And in the Old Testament, he talks about the morning star, which is where we get the name Lucifer from, which is in the Old Testament. And so before in time, this Lucifer, this star of the morning, and you can go back and read in Isaiah, rebelled against God was together with God as an angel and rebelled against him. The morning star. He was seen as Venus, the son of the dawn. But he was cast out because of what he did, and he was cast down to earth as a place of habitation. So Isaiah talks about the fact that just like Satan, just like Lucifer, the kings of that time have followed him and caused destruction and death and poverty and all the problems that are in the society for the Hebrew people. Which is why he goes on to say that he's not even buried. These kings are not buried. They're tossed into a pit. They're tossed among the people that they have slain. Isaiah is talking about the evil one as well as he's talking about the kings during that time. This is the imagery that we get of Satan as a dragon, as a snake. It had seven heads. And this is where it enters into the Garden of Eden as the tempter, the evil one, 
to explain how evil came as part of us and how we are tempted because Satan did the exact same thing that he was trying to do and take God's power and authority away from him. Now he says, hey, God knows if you eat from that tree, you're going to be like him. Satan's goal is us. The evil one thrown out of heaven is our adversary. He's the one who tempts. He's the one who wants to destroy. He's the one who wants to follow, for us to follow our own ways. He's the one who wants us to forget about God. And he's the one who wants us to forget that he's here among us in the world. Well, John uses this same imagery in Revelation. For those who have questions about Revelation, this kind of clears up some things. John says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, a huge red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns. On its head were seven diadem crowns. Now the dragon's tail, we're talking about the same imagery, swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. And we're talking about Christ. As soon as it was born. So the woman gave birth to a son, a male child, who is going to rule over all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was suddenly caught up to God and to his throne and she fled into the wilderness where she's in a safe place. John is talking about us, the church, in the wilderness, but yet in a safe place. But the idea that a third of the stars were swept away means that he had a legion following him. Some number it at about 200 million. Where they get the number, I don't know. 200 million. But a legion was there to support this spiritual war against God. So he tempts us today, and he wants our destruction as he did at that time. But he shows up in different ways. He shows up in different ways in different cultures. And I could share a few stories how he shows up in pagan cultures or animistic cultures on the mission field. But here he shows up by saying he doesn't exist. In our individualism, materialism, consumerism, anything that can wash over his existence. And so in this petition that we cry out, deliver us, O Lord. The deliverer means draw me close to you. Take me out of this. Deliver me to yourself and for yourself. Lord, deliver me out of my pains and bring me to you for you. Can you imagine the impact of this petition when it was taught during the first century? The image of the lion roaring, Christians persecuted, the kings and the Caesars who brought that about, we think it will never happen in our own land. Freedom of religion and equality. 
But yet the organized church is being persecuted against. We feel it. There are liberties that we don't have. The media is constantly against what is going on in the church. We have stereotypes about us. Perhaps we're fanatical in here. Maybe we have child sacrifices. Who knows what people think? We have missed a generation, and we have entered into what everybody calls now a post-Christian society. And in a post-Christian society, it means post-Christ. After Christ. Post-Christianity is marked by a falling away from the church, looking at the church as nothing more than an institution that perhaps wants money or a business or enslaving the consciences of people because they don't believe in God or the word of God. And so we are under persecution which means that we have to pray this petition in earnest for the evil one crouches and lurks even in our own lives to find ways to make the church irrelevant, to make our fellowship meaningless, to say you really don't need to go there, you don't really need to be in God's word, you're a good person. But we need each other as a community in Christ. We are the communion of saints. And so when we pray, deliver us to yourself. It's a desire to return, to have Christ return and take us back with him. When Jesus sent out the 72, Jesus himself uses this imagery. He says in Luke, Then the 72 returned, because they were to go village and village and proclaim the message of Christ. They returned, Lord, even the demons submitted to, our, to your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is referring to the end time. The evil one is judged. Jesus says, look, I have given you authority to tread on snakes, and scorpions, and on the full force of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. We kind of look at that and we say, well, scorpions and snakes. It's God's authority who has made Satan fall. It's God's word who has defeated him. And the power of that word has been given to whom? You. The power of that word is in your mouth. The power of that word is in your heart. Because Jesus says here, I have given you authority. I have given you the authority. I've handed it over to you. It is my word and my church that has defeated the power of Satan. Stay together. Keep on your mark. Being in him keeps us ready to go. And then God says, Go. Confess Christ in the world. Will you be persecuted? Possibly. But you will not be defeated. Will you have people talk against you? Possibly. But you will not be defeated. For I have delivered you 2,000 years ago, and I will come and deliver you once again.
And so, our petition, deliver us from the evil one, something that we ask to stay on our marks. It gets us ready to live in the world because we know that he is defeated and we are sent to share that message as well. May this be the truth of our lives. In your son's name, amen. Let us respond in faith with